Hello. Yes. Hello. There Good we go. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in to Quietly Clean with yours truly. It is 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So wherever you are in the world, thank you very much for tuning in. So as you can probably already tell, I have an incredible guest joining me this afternoon by the name of Isolyn Hamilton Austin, nurse practitioner, author, and an awesome grandmother. And I just want to start off by saying thank you so much for joining me on Quietly Queen. You have such an incredible journey. And may you please go ahead and share some of that background information. Hi, thank you. Um, first, let me thank you for inviting me to share my story. I really appreciate that. Um, as you said, my name is Iceland Hamilton Austin. I am a pediatric, well, family nurse practitioner, and I specialize in pediatrics. I've been in the nursing field for 42 years, and I've mm -hmm. actually been a nurse practitioner for 21 of those years. Um, I am a 16-year breast cancer survivor. And I know I'm like, yay. <laughs> um, and I recently in October of 2021 became a children's book author. Okay. So to date I have three books out published that I self-published myself on Amazon. And I am a grandmother of three-year-old twins, a boy and a girl, and a mother Aww. of two. <laughs> All right. And I admire so much how you've chosen to take your challenge with the battle with breast, breast cancer and turn it into philanthropic endeavors. How impactful was this for both yourself and those that you've assisted throughout your journey? Um, it was pretty impactful because, you know, I, me getting diagnosed with breast cancer was a total shock, which for most people it is. And I, I always say I took my three days to be shocked and then I was like okay you got to do something better than this so mm -hmm. um, I did my surgery I did my chemo I did my radiation and then I you know I being on the other side of that because I was a nurse practitioner at the time I was like you're now the patient so it gave me some insight as to what people kind of go through when they have to go through the health system and you know seeing things that happen I saw people there that were scheduled for chemo that couldn't get their chemo because their insurance um, wouldn't pay for it or they didn't have wow. money to pay the deductible I know when I went to get my first chemo I had to write them a check for like $1,200 to even get the first chemo that was the wow. deductible yeah so I, and I remember asking a lady like what about people who don't have the money for this she's like well they don't get treatment so after I got done with my treatment, I started a organization called I'm a Survivor Inc. And every year I would do a fundraiser and um, all of the proceeds would get donated to women who were diagnosed with breast cancer. So if they couldn't pay their phone bill or they couldn't pay their rent or they needed groceries, we would pay the funds for them. We would pay for them to get mammograms. I partnered with a lady who had a mobile mammogram machine. So if they didn't have money to get a mammogram, then we would pay for it and then transition them to um, the local hospital if they got diagnosed. So I did that oh, for a while okay. when I was in Tampa. I live in South Carolina now, so I don't have the ability to do that here. But that was what I did to kind of help out when I was there. Okay, that's amazing. And I'm sure that those families were so very grateful for your guys' help and your concern. Um, now, that being said, do you know as being in the healthcare fields, are there other resources that in your line of work you know to be available for families and communities as a whole that are accessible, but some aren't necessarily aware of? 
I think the easiest thing, like I always tell people to do too when they get diagnosed is Google is your friend. So if you Google, um, you know, like organizations, breast cancer organizations or cancer institutions, a lot of them have accessible funds. They don't put it out. A lot of the big research hospitals, they do have funds for people um, that you can get, but they don't make it public knowledge. So I would tap into that. um, especially like the um, social workers and stuff like that at the hospitals, their mm-hmm. finance offices are always a good place to start. Um, but I was in a sisters network organization that's in Tampa. It's the, actually the only African-American national organization for breast cancer survivors uh, for women of color. Um, the headquarters is in Texas and I was the president for a year there. They have funds as well, but you know, unless you're in the community in that trenches you don't know so that's always a good place to start okay awesome excellent and um so like as a pediatric nurse for example are there methods both personally and professionally that you think could be implemented that would improve upon the care of like in your field children during their hospitalization to reduce like stress and burdens on both the parents and the family or the patient and the family members um i don't know you mean financial Um, Financially, just your own sort of way to approach different situations, all of that. Most kids, um, well, that come to us, they have insurance. So financially, it's not a huge burden for the families. The biggest problem for them is usually if the parents have to be out of work. Um, You know, we've encountered a lot of families that if they don't work, especially where I live now, if they don't work, they don't get paid. Um, So that's a big problem with them. And it's gotten worse, you know, with the pandemic, with people out of work. Absolutely. Um, they don't really have resources for them, sadly, sad to say, um, if they're not at work. So the only, I mean, the only other option I have for the parents is to try to find somebody who can help you out, like family members, so that you can go to work and they can be there with your child while the child has to be in the hospital when you're working. That has helped um, them having a rotating system, but it's really difficult for them. And we, there really aren't any resources to help them with that, unless you're just going to trust that your kids are going to be in the hospital while you're working, which most parents don't do. They just go without the pay. Yeah, they'll go without the pay and then that becomes a cycle. But they don't really have resources for them financially for that, no. Okay, that's unfortunate. Maybe hopefully something can be done about that. So let's pivot on a lighter note. Uh, I love (laughs) what your book, Different Than Me, showcases in regards to like the different cultures and their families' traditions of love and unity. What is the most rewarding thing for you about being a grandmother? Uh, You know, being a grandmother is a different kind of love. (laughs) Like I always tell people, you love your kids immensely. Like you would lay down your life for them, but the grandparent love is like that plus. (laughs) You know, grandparents, I'm bad about this. I give into stuff that I know I shouldn't. And my Mm -hmm. daughter's always like, mom, are you doing the meme thing now? That's ridiculous. (laughs) But, But my grandkids, I look at them as I need to leave a legacy for them. So like my grandmother, when I was growing up, she was she was my love. I loved my grandmother. She was always the person I could go to to talk about just about anything. If I was sad, if I was happy. And I want my grandkids to be that. But I want them to be able to say my grandmother left a legacy. Um, I want my name to mean something to not just them, but other kids as well. Yes, definitely. Um, what are some other more specific uh, fond memories of your grandmother that you can think of right off the bat? My grandmother was, my grandparents were farmers. And so okay. my grandmother was a very humble person. And we um, had to go to their house every summer to help them get their crops out for the fall. 
And my grandmother, she she had so many grandkids, but she always made us feel like each one of us was her only one. Um, I watched her sew, hand sew quilts for us. I still have my quilt and I'm going to be 61. And I still have the quilt she made for me. And I, I love blueberry pie. So she would be like, if you go get the blueberries, I'll make you the pie. So okay. <laughs> I had to figure that she would give it to me. And to this day, anytime I see a blueberry pie, it always reminds me of my grandmother. So, oh, that is so special. Yeah. She was and a that's sweet good lady. That you, yeah, that's good that you kept that quilt. Maybe you can pass that down. I'm sure mm-hmm. that you will. I still Absolutely. have. <laughs> now, with Juneteenth being celebrated today, actually, how do you plan to incorporate any of family traditions into the newly recognized federal holiday? I think, um, you know, right along with the MLK holiday, I always try to have my kids and then now my grandkids understand the root of where we came from. And um, Juneteenth is, I'm really happy it's a holiday now because I always, yeah. My, yeah, I am. I always in my brain felt like my grandparents owned, they still, well, the family still owns a lot of lands. And growing up and watching them farm that land and mm-hmm. on their own, like they paid for their land, they worked hard for their stuff. And they taught all of us, you know, always have your own and work hard. Like we had the best work ethics from them. And so when we talk about Juneteenth and you talk about the freedom of the slaves and them realizing even two years after the emancipation was signed that we are free, Mm -hmm. it always makes me think about my grandparents because I'm like, they were free to do what they needed to do to take care of their family. And so I just want my family, that to be incorporated. Like you always have to have your own. You always have to work hard for it. And so I'm so happy that that's a holiday now because I think it gives us, you know, this world is keep trying to erase our history. Yes, and I think yes. with that and with that being in there, it kind of hopefully will bring back to the new generation that there's roots that were people had to work hard to get for you to have the the stuff you have today, the yes. rights and whatever. And I don't, I don't I think, for, you know, that's kind of getting washed away. And so I just, that's at least another holiday we can incorporate the strongness and the roots of the African culture and our people and, you know, the backbones that people had to work to get us where we are right now. I completely concur. And that is so important. Work ethic is so important. Yeah. Having your own is definitely very necessary. (laughs) Okay. Um, And... Speaking of like pushing the importance of reading, for example, for children, that's very necessary. Um, what are some ways that you found effective for encouraging more reading and less, per se, electronics usage? <laughs> yeah. So I already, when I do physicals on the kids, um, I have three books out, actually. So different than me was my third book I published. And I, like a month, three, three or four weeks ago, I started a um, campaign because we have this reach out and read program at my job so the kids get a book but I felt like it would be awesome if I could get people to donate funds so the kids that I see can get a book from their provider and so okay. I, I signed a copy of the book to them and it encouraged them to read so I always tell the parents make sure you read to them at least every night at bedtime and when they're out like when you're out and you stop at a stop sign you know have them spell the word out make the cereal box take every opportunity you can to help them read because kids who read at an early age usually have higher intelligence so Mm -hmm. instead of letting them play um with video games and all that i'm like try incorporating little reading things you could do like five or ten minutes if you get flashcards because i did that with my kids and it worked really well definitely and what other advice would you give to any parents grandparents or caregivers 
if you just feel like there was something that could be helpful besides the things that you mentioned. So I always, when kids come to see me, like I always tell them, you don't get a physical from head to toe. Like I'm going to check it, make sure your body parts are working fine, but I'm interested in your mind as well. So I always ask yeah. them, what are, your, what are your grades in school? And we set boundaries. So I always tell the parents, you have to set boundaries. So you have to, t- I always tell them, I don't accept C's. The only class I'll allow them to get a C in when they see me is a math class. And that's because I know math is difficult for some people. But if mm-hmm. you tell me you got a D in social studies, I'm like, why? Social studies is, a, is an information. They give you the information, you study it, and you give it back to them on a test. So right. They have a reason for that. So I always tell the parents, be tuned into what your kids are doing. Know what they're doing. Know what their grades are. Be interested in who their friends are. Because um, when their behavior starts to change and something going wrong, you can kind of pinpoint what happened when. Um, keep them busy. If they're in sports and they're, and they're busy and they don't have idle time, they don't have time to get in trouble. Um, right. And, you know, and, and where I am here, it's not like when I was in Tampa when I lived there. So I just try to give them other outside interests. I live in a small town now, so they just know this town. But if you get outside of the town and let kids see there's another world out there, they can they can have a vision to see there's something else for them to strive for. So just keep them interested in, in, in life and living and education. And if you kind of put that in their head, whatever you give them is what they'll look forward to doing. Absolutely. Those are such great key points. Um, Is there anything else that you would like the audience to take away from this segment? And if not, please go ahead and share your upcoming projects, as well as how and where to publish your publications and to connect with you on your platforms. Um, The only other additional information I would say to them is like, you know, we don't know where this world is headed, but I think that if we all take an interest in each other, and get back to caring about people as humans and just not so much separatism. I think we can really push this forward to a better place than where we are right now. Um, For sure. like, I, like my books are, are all about multicultural approaches. And I think that if we just get rid of the color and just see people as people, we could probably way ahead of than where we are today. Um, my books are available on Amazon. Um, all three of them are. Um, you can also get them from my, um, I have a landing page, which is www.icelandhamiltonaustin.com. And um, I'm on Facebook as Iceland Hamilton Austin. And I'm on IG and TikTok as Iceland 51. All righty. So I will definitely be supporting that. I'm always interested in especially self-published authors and trying to support their works because I know the grind behind that. So thank you so very much for all of that uh, wealth of info and sharing your incredible story here on Quietly Queen with your pleasure. Uh, Once again, Iceland, Hamilton, Austin and Quietly Queen. We hope that you have been listening in and taking the points and advice and applying it to your own lives and situations and also if you have any feedback on this episode go ahead and leave a voice message or send an email which will be provided in the description box and also follow quietly queen on instagram twitter and facebook and thank you again miss isolin mrs isolin for joining me on quietly queen thank you for inviting me have a great day. Happy mm-hmm. Father's Day. Sorry, and happy <laughs> June. <laughs> Thank you. You too. All right. Bye bye.